breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It is a great day because finally, finally, there is just a little bit of good news about the situation between Israel and Gaza. Uh, no, no uh, invasion yet, no military strike, no military solution. We're going to be speaking with Elliot Kaufman of the Wall Street Journal, however. He's written a provocative piece about what would Israeli victory look like. Uh, certainly the 360,000 Israelis who have been called up for service as part of the country's ready reserve it's a huge army. It's the biggest army that the Israelis have ever put together. And uh, the number one uh, goal is apparently going to be to try to release, uh, liberate the hostages. Uh, they are now being told that the IDF is uh, saying that the relatives of 199 people have been notified that their loved ones are Gaza hostages, and those presumably are above the 1,300 people who have been identified as dying in the Hamas attack. Uh, there's news about that. There's speculation about that. There's also the escape from uh, the danger zone of uh, uh, Americans. And how did that happen? It happened because of an initiative taken by the governor of Florida. And the headline is uh, one that is very favorable to Ron DeSantis. They report in the National Review, DeSantis airlifts 270 American evacuees out of Israel. Uh, How'd he do it? We will get to that. It's one of those things that it's not so easy right now with plane flights being constrained and interfered with. Uh, I have people who are very close to me, family members, who are trying to get from Israel to the United States right now. And uh, it's possible, but not so easy. And it's striking that Governor DeSantis managed to do this. Uh, They have not managed, however, neither Governor DeSantis nor anybody else in the Republican Party to solve the problem is who is going to be the next speaker of the house uh, supposedly there's going to be a vote tomorrow uh on the floor of the house of representatives and jim jordan is could still be 20 or 30 votes short of winning the speakership there is rumor about a mystery challenger which of course makes you think it might be somebody outside the house of representatives Uh, Look, this is very, very difficult because on a number of very very crucial, very immediate issues uh, that uh, Democrats care about and most Republicans care about, issues like supplying Ukraine with what is necessary for Ukraine so they don't lose their war, Uh, combining that with a new aid to Israel, which is very necessary as they begin this very difficult process of trying to dismantle and basically annihilate the Hamas terrorists, Uh, then what do you need to be careful of uh, in terms of once that happens? 
Well, you need to be careful of knowing that there is a day after. It's not just a matter of destroying bad guys. It's what happens in Gaza. There's a very thoughtful piece written by one of the Americans who had been asked to uh, to help devise what victory would look like in Iraq uh, years ago with the Bush administration. Uh, we'll be talking about that and what is essential coming up as well. And then the uh, new gag order involving President Trump. It has nothing to do with his comments about the Middle East, even though they have been very controversial. They do. It does have to do with his comments about uh, one of the trials he's getting involved with and making comments about the family of the special prosecutor, the individual of the special prosecutor, the judge, the rest of the courthouse staff. The uh, the idea is not to try to influence people against the legal proceeding or against any specific witnesses. Uh, that is what the order seems to say. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Uh, breaking news, there is uh, this. Uh, the Secretary of State, uh, Antony Blinken, uh, and uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu sheltered in a bunker for five minutes uh, today when air raid sirens went off in Tel Aviv uh, during their meeting, State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller said. Uh, look, there are still the danger of, of rockets, uh, though obviously the intensity of the rocket attack is not nearly what it was on October 7th, the day of the Hamas attack. And uh, the one of the, the stories here that uh, is just very, very personal for me, as I spoke to my brother Jonathan last night, and he's in Jerusalem, and he says, yes, there is a uh, still the, the time to time there are sirens that go off, and then you have to get into your safe room, and most Israeli houses have safe rooms. Uh, Jerusalem and Tel Aviv were not badly hit. Uh, obviously, the rockets were concentrated in the south, uh, near uh, the borders of Gaza. But the truth of the matter is that the Iron Dome system is apparently doing its job. And one of the problems is it's unclear where the rockets are coming from. They probably are not coming from Gaza at this point. And there has not been a intensified uh, Iranian uh, Hezbollah uh, deluge of rockets, but that may be coming. Uh, we're going to be speaking to um, uh, uh, Ilan about uh, coming up. We're going to be speaking with Ilan Berman about uh, the future of Iran and how it impacts Israel, and that very much involving whether Hezbollah is going to be dragged into the war. If you had any controversial conversations over the weekend, and you have questions or you need clarification 
on the history and the true story about the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, you can first of all give us a call. Uh, but second of all, I, I do want to recommend, and we've actually gotten thank yous for this, um, there is our Medved history program. It's about two and a half hours long called Why They Fight the Origins of the Arab-Israeli Conflict, which goes back to the whole origins of the state of Israel and uh, the warfare that was going on in the streets of Jerusalem and elsewhere long before Israel was declared independent or long before there was even a single Palestinian refugee, not even one. Why? Because the uh, British were in charge of the situation and uh, because of the Palestine mandate and because there had been, in, in fact, contrary to the idea of Arabs running away from Israel or running away from Jewish settlement, there was unquestionable uh, data about the Arabs who ran to Israel and settled there, people from Egypt, from Syria, from Iraq, who because of the economic energy that was created by the uh, returning Jews, uh, they moved also into the what would British called the Palestine Mandate. We will be right back with more on that and the DeSantis airlift and uh, the, the Trump gag order and future... And if you go to uh, MichaelMedved.com or you go to the Medved History Store.com, uh, either place you'll find information about our three special history programs about the Middle East that, that uh, actually, even though they were created a couple of years ago, uh, they are perfectly suited to answering the questions and giving you the background that you would need. The first one is called Why They Fight the Origins of the Arab-Israeli Conflict. And uh, one of the most important things to you grasp there, and we actually have sound bites and other very specific references, is that when Israel was authorized as a new state by the United Nations. It had been previously authorized by the League of Nations back in 1923. But when the state was ready, there were already 600,000 Jewish people living there. And uh, it became a new country with an offer that uh, about half of the land, and it was, in Palestine would go into making a Palestinian state which the Zionist leadership agreed to. David Ben-Gurion and uh, the other leaders of what was called at that time the Yishuv, meaning uh, the place where people have settled, uh, that uh, they all agreed, okay, fine, we're, we'll have Palestinian neighbors. But uh, no Jewish state was accepted at all by the Arab-Palestinian inhabitants at that time. The second of the history programs that you should get is called Five Middle Eastern Wars. 
which is the story of all of the major struggles that Israel has gone through. It, of course, does not include this one because it's too soon, but uh, to going from the war for independence to the war in Lebanon, including the Yom Kippur War, the Six-Day War, uh, and the Sinai campaign, what a lot of people don't realize, and I was thinking of writing something about it soon, is that the Sinai campaign in 1956 was largely based upon Israel being attacked by Fedayeen, who were masked marauders who came from Gaza and uh, fanned out to commit murder and theft and vandalism. And that's one of what uh, the war causes for the 1956 Sinai campaign. Anyway, it's all there. Go to Uh There's also this. This came in from Gary, who's listening to the show in California. He said, I would like Michael to recommend a book that fairly tells the history of Israel. There are two books that are indispensable. Two. And one is a, a one-volume book by Martin Gilbert, which is just called Israel. Sir Martin Gilbert, yes, he's British, and yes, he was knighted, was the official authorized biographer of Churchill. He's written unbelievably fine books about Churchill as well. But his, his book about Israel is riveting. It is exciting. It's like reading a novel, and ultimately it's inspiring, and it's completely reliable and accurate. He's one of the most acclaimed historians generally in the world. The other book I would recommend is Paul Johnson, another Brit, has written a huge book. It's almost a thousand pages, but it's called The History of the Jews. It's a lot of history. And going back 3,500 years to the very early, <laughs> the, the, the book's about 900 pages. It's, it, but again, it's, it's thrilling and it's fascinating. And you can cut to the more current times as well. But honestly, the background is kind of important. In any event, it's Paul Johnson. Uh, and these are pretty easy names to remember. Martin Gilbert wrote the one volume on Israel. And the history of the Jews by Paul Johnson is also worth it. Uh, then we got a lovely note email from Betsy in Texas. And Betsy, I thank you with all your my heart. I'm so grateful to you. She says, how do I contribute to the Israel crisis? I didn't see anywhere on the website. Well, it's up there. Uh, stand with us is an outstanding organization uh, that, that actually operates all around the world to help mobilize public support for the state of Israel. It's a source of information, it can answer your questions, and it can also help with what's going on. There, there are other things that to which you can contribute. A very popular charity that I know many, many people have rushed to contribute to as Magen David Adam, which means the uh, Red uh, Star of David. It's a medical relief program, it's like the Red Cross, but it, it works specifically to help uh, Israeli uh, uh, civilians who were caught up in, in this hideous, hideous tragedy that we're all still 
haunted by from October 7th. Uh, one of the things to, to do about that tragedy is actually to do something. And Ron DeSantis actually did something. Uh, look, I'm not, uh, I, it, I'm not a big DeSantis groupie or anything like that, but for goodness sake, the guy deserves credit when he does something like this. Here is a report from the Today Show on NBC about how Ron DeSantis helped to get, didn't help to get, he got uh, Americans out of Israel who needed to come home. Listen. Yeah. Today, more than 270 Americans evacuated from Israel are back in the United States. Arriving in Tampa overnight on the first flight to return to the U.S. in an operation organized by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. It's very emotional to be here, to be away from all of that. 91 of the passengers arriving last night were children. These kids are having to dodge rockets. These kids are having terrorists come after them. Not the way this world should be. The Gobiov spent much of the last week huddled in a Jerusalem bomb shelter with their toddler. Can you describe the level of fear right now, the level of fear that you had while you were in Israel and the level of fear in your community? So uh, on a physical sense, uh, we're very thankful that we're here. We are very blessed that we had a governor, we have a Hashem that got us here. I mean, God took care of everything. But uh, on, a, on, a, on an emotional level, it is very overwhelming to be in a situation of where you have a fear of your life. For many, the homecoming is joyful, but the heartache isn't over. Liat Paradise was in Tel Aviv when the war began. It's just, it's so much heartbreak to leave everything so so suddenly and, and everything you love. And I haven't gotten to say goodbye to a single person. I'm worried. You know, all of my friends are out there serving. My cousin is on the front lines in Gaza. You know? It's emotional. Um... The DeSantis signed an executive order last week authorizing the Florida Division of Emergency Management to carry out logistical rescue and evacuation operations for Florida residents who are in Israel. The state pro uh, partnered with Project Dynamo, a veteran-run coalition, to charter the first rescue flight to return to the U.S. Coming up, Ilan Berman on America's Iran policy and the... And on the Michael Medved show, uh, there are Israeli spokespeople who are now confirming in the media that the number of hostages currently being held is 199. It's considerably more than they had originally anticipated. And, uh, and of course, what they're calling for is uh, a release of the hostages, delivery of the hostages back to their loved one and to their normal lives, and to a surrender by Hamas as a means of what? Saving lives. Um, there is a, a, a new story in the Wall Street Journal just appeared that Iran uh, just issued a warning against an Israeli ground invasion of Gaza. Uh, Iran is is making that warning, and what is the connection? Well, the connection is Iran, of course, is part of the sponsor of uh, of Hamas, and the 
unbelievably evil terrorists who perpetrated the horrors of October 7th. A perspective on that that's very important is in a new piece in Newsweek by Ilan Berman, who's been a frequent guest on this show. He's senior vice president of the American Foreign Policy Council in Washington, D.C., and an expert on uh, regional security uh, in the Middle East. The um, Times of Israel has a headline, Ilan. It says, Iran says time running out for a solution to Gaza war and threatens expanding conflict. Is Iran actually in a position where they can expand the conflict? Well, unfortunately, they can. And uh, this is really one of the reasons. There's a piece in the Jerusalem Post uh, which talks, uh, just, uh, just posted, which talks about why the Israeli ground invasion hasn't kicked off yet, because the assumption was that it would happen on Friday or at the latest over the weekend, and it hasn't happened yet. And Israeli military planners are seem to be delaying because they're concerned that once they commit troops irrevocably to the southern front, to Gaza, that there is the, op the option that uh, Iran, working through the Lebanese Shiite militia Hezbollah, would open up a northern front in Israel. And so there's a worry that, you know, if Israel goes into Gaza too extensively, that they could actually become vulnerable in the north. But that's the common thread here, right? The, the Iranians are the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism. They have been for uh, three decades. And the conditions for what the atrocities that we saw on October 7th were laid by the Islamic Republic of Iran through their, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that they spend every year uh, on subsidizing Hamas and the activity of Palestinian rejectionist groups. So uh, Iran threatening to escalate now is all part of the same dialogue. The Iranians have been trying to tighten the vice around Israel for a long time, and they're succeeding. Uh, you say in your column that America's Iran policy needs a reset, and it's based at least partially on the shocking story uh, about a long-running and extensive Iranian influence operation. Has that uh, Iranian influence operation had an impact on U.S. policy in the past? I think, uh, honestly, on, on almost every level of our Iran policy, right? Our Iran policy is deeply broken, and this story, which has sort of been pushed from the headlines by the horrible war that's taking place in Israel right now, um, was really the big story of last month. It was these du uh, dueling exposés that came out at the same time by the news agency Semaphore and by Iran International, which is an Iranian opposition television channel, uh, with leaked emails, thousands of leaked emails uh, from influencers, policy analysts sympathetic to the Islamic Republic, essentially laying out how they coordinated with the Iranian regime, right? And these are not just bystanders. These are not just commentators. These are folks with positions of power adjacent to or even inside the U.S. government. And so you can sort of see, and this has been going on for about a decade, and you can sort of see that over that time, the way we have thought, right, the American uh, public writ large has thought about Iran has really changed dramatically, right? These are the same people that were pushing the idea that if we don't sign the 2015 nuclear deal with Iran, that the inevitable outcome would be war. These are the same people that are pushing the idea that the Iranian economy is doing okay, all things considered. They're the same ones pushing the idea that, you know, there's a struggle within Iran between hardliners and reformists, 
right? All of these tropes really need to come under the microscope now because, you know, these are not impartial observers. These are uh, folks who are coordinating with Tehran. And uh, have those folks helped to minimize the internal unrest? We were hearing uh, a great deal about that. And, of course, there was uh, an Iranian, an imprisoned Iranian woman who just won the Nobel Peace Prize. But even that does not seem to have uh, drawn attention back to just how unstable and how dangerous this evil regime in Tehran is. Well, they certainly shaped the optics around the protests. Right? Look, I, we're over a year into the current round of protests in Iran. It's very clear that the regime is less rickety now than they were a year ago, uh, that the opposition, uh, you know, there's sustained opposition, but it hasn't really caught fire in the way that many of us were hoping. But that lack of attention and the lack of serious conversations about, you know, the broad-based impact of these sort of protests on the stability of the Islamic Republic uh, has really receded, and it's receded as a result of the work of these individuals, right? That these are not, as I said, these are not independent uh, individuals. They are stakeholders, and they're really uh, interested in promoting the idea that the Islamic Republic is stable, it's consolidated, it's in charge, and minimizing any potential impact that protests could have. Do... Um any of these uh, articles, these reports in Semaphore and elsewhere about the agents of influence from Iran, do they implicate any well-known people in uh, government or media? Oh, for sure. And, and uh, interestingly, I mean, uh, this is sort of a little bit of Washington inside baseball, but the person who now serves as the chief of staff for the Assistant Secretary of Defense uh, in charge of special operations and low-intensity conflict was named in these emails. She is still in her post. She still has her clearance. There's an open congressional investigation into why that actually is the case. And the, Pen uh, the Pentagon is sort of circling the wagons, refusing to answer congressional questions. But this is a huge black eye. It's a huge black eye for the Defense Department, and it's a huge black eye for U.S. national security. Do you uh, uh, believe that uh, there will be a determination by Iran to open up a northern front uh, as soon as uh, Israel actually pulls the trigger and goes into Gaza? Well, I, I, think, I think it depends. I think it depends uh, how Israel goes into Gaza, what type of deterrent messaging, what type of credible threats the uh, not just Iran, but also Hezbollah, the proxy in Lebanon, uh, faces, uh, right? Because remember, uh, you know, one of the big debates that has been going on for a long time in Washington policy circles is, you know, it's clear that Hezbollah uh, is uh, sort of, you know, a solvent as a result of Iranian generosity. But, you know, Hezbollah is a freestanding organization. It has 10 percent of the seats in the Lebanese parliament. So uh, Hezbollah is not going to go on a suicide mission uh, just to please its masters in Tehran. So how do you create the conditions where you drive those wedges? How do you create the conditions where Hezbollah really decides to stand down, irrespective of what the Islamic Republic wants? And that is obviously a challenge that uh, policymakers here in the United States expect. Do you think it's realistic? Israel says its goal is to dismantle and to eliminate Hamas. Uh, a realistic goal? I, I mean, I, I think so, but uh, then the question is, uh, what comes after? It's very clear exactly. that the Israelis can degrade 
But then what do they do? What happens with Gaza? That's really unknown. We will be talking about it and more. Elon Berman, his piece posted at michaelmedved.com. We will be right back. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. On the Michael Medved Show, we talked about our history programs that are available on the Middle East, and most of the history programs are about American history. Uh, And this, of course, has points of contact with American history. But all of the American history programs are available for download, and they're available for download with a special offer of 20% off. Uh, limited time. That's what they just informed me from <laughs> the history store. Uh, and you, if you become a MedHead Plus member, uh, then by paying your membership dues, you have access to streaming any of the more than a hundred history shows uh, anytime you want, and uh, it's free when you become a MedHead Plus member. Check it out at the Michael Medved History uh, Program, uh, History uh, Store, or you can go to uh, michaelmedved.com and just click on the Medhead Plus uh, Medved History Store banner. Okay, Governor DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, made some history with the first flight of people getting uh, out of Israel. These are Americans. They're Floridians. Here was what the governor had to say about his program. We're here at Tampa Airport. We are having our first flight of people being rescued from Israel. It has landed over 260 people that wanted to get back to the United States and couldn't do it. Uh, There was a devoid of leadership, so we stepped up and led. Uh, We're happy to be able to deliver this, so we're getting ready to welcome them back to the United States of America. And uh, this is obviously a good thing, not only for the families involved, but it's a good thing for the governor. He was also on Face the Nation on CBS and uh, talking about the uh, Israeli plans for Gaza and for winning this Gaza war, uh, and what that means in terms of defining what victory would be. Uh, This is clip five. So I think if you look, as you mentioned Iraq, and I served there, uh, our foreign policy the last 20, 30 years has suffered when we don't have a clear concept of victory, when we have conflicts mm-hmm. like Iraq and like Afghanistan, where we don't have a clear resolution. So he owes a strategy to the Congress, and I think most Republicans, or a lot of the Republicans right. in the Congress, are going to insist on that uh, before they authorize additional money. We don't have a clear definition of success from the Israeli Prime Minister either. Uh, I asked the National Security Advisor, uh, and he just said well, generally I actually think safety, we do. the Jewish state. I think we do, with all respect. I mean, I think, I think he has said that uh, it is the, the total and complete defeat of Hamas uh, where they're no longer existing uh, as a functioning entity. I think that that is achievable. I think Israel can do that, and I think they have every right, and indeed I think they have the duty to do that. And the whole point about eliminating uh, 
uh, Hamas. And and this is something that uh, I know that uh, Governor DeSantis is very capable of making clear to people, and he should. The point of getting rid of Hamas is not punishment. It's not retribution. It's uh, not even creating deterrence. Well, if you do it again, we're going to hit you again. It It basically is to change the situation permanently where – the this evil coterie of people which by the way does not represent even the people in gaza those few poles that have ever been allied there uh allowed to take place in gaza and indicate that many of the people who live in gaza probably most do not appreciate hamas or its priority which is not on the welfare of gazans clearly but is on killing jews and uh, the, the, the whole idea of making peace after this new war is over, uh, that idea should be possible, but it will only be possible if Hamas is replaced by, could be the Palestinian Authority, it could be some new entity, but some other internationally sponsored or sanctioned, uh, civilized, non-terrorist entity. But given the fact that Hamas has, from its very inception, since it's always rejected the state of Israel in any form, since it's always rejected the right of any Jewish people to live in the Middle East, it has been labeled a terrorist organization because it's basically its view of the solution to what they consider to be the Jewish problem is the same uh, as Hitler's, which is kill them all, kill us all. Uh, Governor DeSantis on Face the Nation was asked about the creation of a Palestinian state after this war is settled. This is clip six. There have been generous offers by Israel to provide Palestinian Arab states. Of course, you go back to 1948, they had an opportunity to have an Arab state and the Arabs rejected it and went to war. So they've always cared more about eliminating the Jewish state than they have about receiving their own state. And I'm not sure that that's changed in terms of their outlook. Uh, who is so they? we'll see what happens as this, excuse me? I'm sorry, who is they? The Palestinian Arabs in both the West Bank and Gaza, uh, the, their the Palestinian view has authority been... is moving towards a, a, a two-state solution. That's why I asked if you had support for a two-state. Well, they've solution. rejected that in the past. Uh, Arafat rejected it uh, in no, 2000. It was a ridiculous deal. It probably would have put Israel in situations where they would have had some serious con security concerns, but they were willing to go forward. And I think the history of the last 75 years, Israel has always been willing to take tough steps for peace. And they've always had rejection on the other side, and the other side has typically chosen war. So that's the cycle. So I would not push Israel to grant statehood to people that don't recognize their right to exist as a Jewish state. Uh, it, it, by the way, good job for um, Governor DeSantis. And he's entirely right. The Y River meetings, which took place in uh, 2000 at the very, very end of the Clinton administration, uh, Bill Clinton met together with Yasser Arafat, who at the time was the uh, ruler of the Palestinian Authority, 
and which included, by the way, Gaza at that time, and uh, with Ehud Barak, who was uh, certainly the most pro-peace of uh, and pro-compromise of any Israeli prime minister ever. And uh, they had reached tentative agreements with the Americans that even in included uh, using the uh, city of Jerusalem would be a capital of both Israel and of the new Palestinian Authority. There would be a new Palestinian entity. And it was all there. And people who had negotiated this painfully, including Bill Clinton himself, have written about this. And it was turned down by Yasser Arafat, and a lot of people believe, most historians, that the reason that Yasser Arafat turned it down, not Ehud Barak, the Israeli prime minister, the reason that Arafat turned it down was because he was worried that the same kind of people who were holding those 199 hostages who murdered those 1,300 people on October 7th, that those people would kill him. And uh, that was uh, something he wasn't willing to risk. And so instead of the Y River negotiations, which they had worked on together with the Americans, and Bill Clinton in his memoirs and elsewhere said this was one of the biggest disappointments of his presidency because they were so close. Uh, President Biden also spoke on 60 Minutes, uh, had a lengthy interview, and he spoke about why he cares so deeply about uh, this issue. We will get to that. We will also be speaking uh, coming up to Elliot Kaufman, who's written about what Israeli victory, if God willing it happens, what that would look like and what that would mean and what that would mean for the future. Uh, the U.S. military, the Wall Street Journal is reporting, has selected roughly 2,000 troops to prepare for a potential deployment to support Israel. U.S. defense officials uh, made that announcement today. The troops are tasked with missions like advising and medical support, the officials said, and they are from across the U.S. armed services. They aren't intended to serve in a combat role, the officials said. No infantry have been put on prepare to deploy order. Uh, we will get to that and more, uh, including the very latest from the what's called the goat rodeo in Congress. Uh, that and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.